0: Welcome to everyone joining the webinar. We will get started right at the top of the hour. Welcome to everyone joining the webinar. We'll give folks just a moment to get into the Zoom room and we will get started. All right, let's go ahead and um, start our presentation today. So, welcome to today's Journal of Nutrition Education and Behavior Journal Club webinar. It's part of a series of 11 webinars focused on nutrition education program and implications from the field. Uh, a special thank you to SDB's. Food and Nutrition Extension Education Div- Division for helping select the articles and authors uh, that we're showcasing in this series. Um, as the official peer-reviewed journal of the Society for Nutrition Education and Behavior, JDB advances nutrition education and behavior-related research practice and policy. So as we get started today, a little bit of housekeeping. I'm going to put a link to the slides in the chat um, for some reason, dragging the PDF in there to there wasn't working for me earlier, so um, you should be able to click that link uh, and download a PDF of today's presentation. Uh, we will take questions at the end of the presentation. Uh, please type those questions in the question block so we can be moderating those to our panelists. Uh, when the webinar ends today, you'll be prompted to complete a short survey. Um, your feedback on this session is appreciated as well as ideas for future webinars um, and this webinar is being recorded uh, available free of charge to sdb members um, in the webinars section of the website um, and then as for your attend live attendance today um, you'll get a follow-up email um, in the next few days with a link to the recording um, and the handouts and you are earning a CEU certificate for your attendance but um, CDR has changed their approval process for webinar CEUs and it's what used to take minutes now kind of takes weeks so we're we'll get those to you as soon as uh, we have those approved. So I can turn things over to our moderator, um, Dr. Kristen D. Filippo is teaching assistant professor at the University of Illinois, and thank you for Kristen for organizing this semester.
1: Thank you, Rachel. I'm looking forward to our presentation today. Uh, We have two presenters. Nathan Stokes has a PhD in hospitality management and has been teaching food service management courses for 10 years. His research focuses broadly on issues related to school nutrition and food service management education. Camilla Jensen is a graduate of the Brigham Young University Dietetic Internship and Master's Program and is a registered dietitian at Center for Change. Camilla completed much of this research for her master's project. Um, as you have questions today, as they're speaking, please feel free to put those in the Q&A or the chat box, and I will monitor the moderate those out to our presenters when we are done. At this point, I can pass it over to our presenters.
2: All right. Thank you, Kristen, and thank you, everybody, for being here, and thank you to the group for inviting us to participate. We're excited to be here today and to present um, our research, as was mentioned in the directions, um, I want to uh, mention again that this project was Camilla's project for her graduate work. So um, I had the privilege of working with her as a graduate student in our program here at BYU. And so most of the credit goes to Camilla for a fantastic project and the work that she did. I'm just the benefactor of having had a fantastic grad student. Um, so I'll go ahead and get started and introduce our, our presentation today. As the title shows, um, what we're gonna be talking about today is how an educational video intervention can improve elementary education students' perceptions of breakfast in the classroom. Um, In way of just a brief introduction, um, the idea for this project came from a previous study that we had done here at BYU with another graduate student, where we looked at teacher perceptions of breakfast in the classroom and different models of breakfast service here in the state of Utah. Um, At the time, we had one of the lowest um, participation rates in, in school breakfast, and so we were curious what teachers thought about it. And we found out in that study that, at least in the state of Utah, they really didn't like breakfast in the classroom. It was the least preferred method um, by far. And so that got us thinking about, well, why do they dislike it so much? And they kind of told us in the study some reasons why, but how can we fix the problem? And so we thought, well, what if we take a step back and look at before they become a teacher um, and see what are their perceptions um, as they're being educated to become a teacher? And can we improve their perceptions early on before they become a teacher? Uh, maybe they can hold on to that improved perception. So that's where this project came from, um, and that's what we looked at and what we be talking about today is what we found out from doing that. So just some brief introduction in general. As most on this call probably know, um, school breakfast began you know, roughly around 1966 when it was first officially um, implemented via an act in Congress. It was done because they started to recognize the need for good nutrition and how it improved children's ability to learn um it's been expanded officially in 1975 and it has been ch- the specific guidelines and mill patterns have been changed and adapted over the decades since then and continue to be um, a focus of discussion in the legislature and of, of adjusting those guidelines um, we now have the latest data shows over 15 million i think close to 15 and a half million children Um, that now participate in the school breakfast programs um, in in various ways. And so it is a very large program um, and it's helping lots and lots of children on a daily basis. Um, Just a quick reminder, eligibility criteria, um, students can qualify as we all know for free or reduced price meals. This is based on many different factors. Some of those factors, including um, whether or not families are participating in different federal assistance programs, their status as homeless or a migrant or foster child, Um, as well as the income is probably the most commonly known one that um, depending on where they're at on the, on the uh, poverty threshold, they can qualify for free meals or reduced price meals, or um, if they don't qualify, they obviously can pay, pay for the, for the breakfast. There is also now um, with COVID, this became kind of standard. Um, We've gone back away from that. Now, again, as we know But there is the community eligibility provision where the entire community can um, qualify for Free for free uh, meals, school meals, based on the percentage of families in that area that, that qualify based on the, the things listed above. So I will now turn it over to Camilla, who will go over some of the literature that we looked at to get this study going.
3: All right, thank you. Um, so to begin, I'm going to discuss the benefits of breakfast consumption in general. Um, so if you want to advance the slide, that'd be great. Um, so the, the benefits that I'm gonna discuss first are not specifically school breakfast, just to, for breakfast consumption in general. And these benefits for, for children to eat breakfast are well-documented. Um, in one review, researchers found that children and adolescents who eat breakfast tended to have better diet quality through higher energy, fiber, and micronutrient intake. They tended to make, and they also tended to make better food choices compared to children who skip breakfast. Uh, Breakfast consumption is also associated with more healthful body weights among children and adolescents, despite breakfast consumers reporting higher daily energy intakes. The research also indicates that children who are regular breakfast consumers have um, decreased risk of obesity, increased cardiorespiratory fitness, and they engage in more physical activity compared to children who eat breakfast less frequently. Research also demonstrated that breakfast consumption has beneficial effects on memory and helps to improve academic performance and school attendance. Some of the benefits associated with just general breakfast consumption have also been found to be associated with participation in school breakfast programs researchers have found that the school breakfast program participation does not increase the total calories consumed nor how often breakfast is eaten one day for example eating a double breakfast or eating multiple breakfasts in different locations during the day participation in the school breakfast program increased scores on the healthy eating index and reduce the probability of low fiber, iron, and potassium intake. Research has found that children who rarely eat school breakfast are significantly more likely to be nutritionally at risk at 41% than children who eat school breakfast sometimes 7% or often 17%. Um, Increasing school breakfast program participation also was found to improve nutrition status among children by reducing the probability of low vitamin C, vitamin E, and folate serum levels. Um, Participation in school breakfast programs has also been shown to increase standardized test achievement scores and decrease the rates of absenteeism and tardiness. Kruger et al. in 2018 surveyed kindergarten through 12th grade teachers about their perceived benefits of the school breakfast service models, so what their perceptions of the benefits were. And the most commonly selected benefits by these teachers were that students will not be hungry, students will perform better academically, students will have less behavior problems, and teachers will not have to feed students with food that they personally purchased. Although the research demonstrates that there are many benefits to the school breakfast program, shareholders of school breakfast, such as school administrators, teachers, food service directors, parents, and students have also identified challenges. Several studies have been done to identify these various stakeholders, like their perceptions, attitudes, and any perceived barriers they have related to school breakfast programs. Um, As Dr. Stokes mentioned, um, Utah has one of the lowest participation rates Um, of school breakfast in, at the time that we were doing this, the latest report was for 2019 through 2020 and 39.6 Utah students were receiving school breakfast for every 100 students who received school lunch. Since then, I looked at some of the more in the the rates of the most recent years. So in 2020 and 2021, it took quite a dive. It was 29.7 students in Utah for every 100 who participated in school lunch. And then went up just a little bit in 2020 through 20, in 2021 through 2022 to 32.2. So it's still quite low, especially when you look at it and compare it to the other states. Um, so in the research, the school administrators have expressed concerns about not being able to provide sufficient staffing, budget, or supervision for school breakfast. Another concern was having decreased instruction time due to providing school breakfast during that class time. Um, Students habits were a concern as many students expressed reluctance to arrive early to school um, to eat breakfast before classes in addition to just not having enough time to eat it at school. Administrators expressed that students food preferences such as disliking the food could contribute to their participation in the school breakfast program Um, A lack of food options and students not choosing nourishing options were identified as challenges as well. Coordinating the bus schedule to accommodate the school breakfast was also frequently expressed by stakeholders as a barrier. In addition to those challenges, uh, at the family level, it was expressed in the research that school breakfast could interfere with parental responsibilities. A lack of parental knowledge about school breakfast availability and the belief that breakfast at home was more cost effective were also factors that could contribute to low school breakfast participation. Social stigma around eating a school breakfast was also frequently cited as a barrier. Uh, Spruance et al. in 2020 investigated school administrators' support for the school breakfast program in a state with the lowest breakfast participation rates. And 31% of those administrators in that sample believed that participation was related to the state's family-centered values Um, And over half of them reported that they did not feel there was a need to increase school breakfast participation. Um, So the research is quite clear that there are a lot of challenges that exist to school breakfast program implementation. Uh, These challenges along with more students participating in school breakfast programs have really necessitated the development of several school breakfast service models um, to help address those challenges. And these school breakfast service models help to make school breakfast more accessible to students. Uh, Prior to COVID, the USDA identified five different models of school breakfast program service. Um, The first one, a lot of people are quite familiar with it, is the traditional school breakfast service model, which is where breakfast is served in a cafeteria or a central location before classes start in the morning. The grab and go service model allows students to pick up packaged breakfast from mobile carts placed in high traffic areas. Um, Second chance breakfast is a service model where students eat breakfast during a break in the morning, such as after first period or sometime between breakfast and lunch. Breakfast vending provides students breakfast foods through vending machines and is most often used in high schools. And finally there's breakfast in the classroom where students eat breakfast in the classroom for 10 to 15 minutes after the bell. So the breakfast in the classroom model is viewed by experts as one of the most beneficial to students of the breakfast service models. Um, The service model removes several barriers to make school breakfast more accessible to students. It eliminates the need to arrive early to school to eat breakfast in the cafeteria before class and it may reduce the social stigma that's associated with school meals and lower income students. Current research continues to explore how breakfast in the classroom benefits students and several studies have shown that school breakfast program participation is higher in schools that implement this model. School attendance is also higher with breakfast in the classroom and has been shown to increase math and reading scores among students. Um, In one study, schools that served breakfast in the classroom had the lowest proportion of students not eating breakfast, while schools that served breakfast in the cafeteria had the highest proportion of students not eating breakfast. Breakfast in the classroom can help promote healthy dietary patterns. In one study, students that were offered breakfast in the classroom were more likely to consume cereal, milk, and juice than students in comparison schools. Researchers have also found that students that, that were served breakfast in the classroom have the highest total healthy eating index scores. And in one study, students in schools that served breakfast in the classroom reported a lower consumption of sugar-sweetened beverages and foods high in saturated fat and added sugar compared to students that were participating in universal breakfast in the cafeteria. More students from breakfast, from breakfast in the classroom schools Uh, followed a food intake pattern that met the USDA's meal component requirements for school breakfast compared to students at control schools. And in another study, researchers found that students' food waste actually decreased after changing from traditional breakfast to breakfast in the classroom. Although the research has indicated many benefits of breakfast in the classroom, support from some key stakeholders, especially teachers, is lacking. Kruger et al found that the most preferred school breakfast service model among teachers was traditional breakfast in the cafeteria, while the least preferred was breakfast in the classroom. Among the teachers that were using breakfast in the classroom over one third indicated that they did not prefer breakfast in the classroom. So those were the ones that were um, actually had that being used in their schools. Um, Stokes et al. in 2019 surveyed teachers regarding their perceptions of breakfast in the classroom and traditional breakfast service. These teachers perceived that both breakfast models uh, could reduce students' hunger, but expressed that the mess created in the classroom and excessive food waste was a concern. The teachers also thought that students who participated in either service model showed improvements in their learning and academic performance. The teachers, however, they disliked the paperwork that came with breakfast in the classroom. Um, They also saw tardiness as an issue even with breakfast in the classroom being served after the bell. Other teachers discussed the positive nature of a classroom routine that was built around breakfast in the classroom. They liked that it was available to all students and that it was a benefit to have the students eat all together in the classroom. Um, Teachers have also identified increased monitoring and mediating consumption as challenges to breakfast in the classroom. Another commonly expressed concern um, among not just teachers but also parents and principals was the loss of instruction time during the school day. Um, In one study, students actually had a positive perception of breakfast in the classroom as it allowed them to interact with their classmates. Other perceptions focused on the nutrient content of breakfast in the classroom. Staff had concerns that It provided like a double breakfast, as discussed earlier, with students maybe eating breakfast at home and then again in the classroom. Although they did acknowledge that maybe breakfast at home wasn't adequate. Some teachers and parents viewed breakfast in the classroom as healthy, while others believed the breakfast contained too much sugar and carbohydrates. So to summarize the key points from the literature, Uh, Research has shown that breakfast in the classroom is an effective model to increase school breakfast program participation, and it provides numerous benefits to students, such as improved academic performance, attendance, dietary intake, among others. Uh, Support from teachers for the breakfast in the classroom service model remains low as they've identified various barriers, such as loss of instruction time, mess in the classroom, nutrient content of breakfast. Um, They also identified breakfast in the classroom as the least preferred breakfast service model. And as key stakeholders in school breakfast, teachers can advocate for practices that most benefit students, including utilizing breakfast in the classroom for their schools.
2: All right, so I'll take it over again and just talk a little bit about the purpose and objectives of the study. Um, So again, like I mentioned earlier, really the purpose of this, um, of the study was to look at how effective or is an educational video about breakfast in the classroom school breakfast can that improve elementary education students perceptions of breakfast in the classroom hopefully with the long end goal being if we can capture these students before they become teachers and educate them a little bit about breakfast school breakfast and breakfast in the classroom um, can they maintain a positive perception moving into when they do become a teacher So the specific objectives of the study were first to develop the video intervention that we were gonna use to educate the elementary education students, um, then to identify their perceptions um, regarding school breakfast in general, as well as specifically breakfast in the classroom, um, both before and after the intervention. And then lastly, to identify whether or not the intervention was effective um, at improving their perceptions from the pre to the post survey. So just some quick methods of how we approached the study um, and how we did this. Uh, phase one, we developed the video and the surveys. Phase two, we recruited students and collected data. And phase three was analyzing the data and preparing the manuscript for publication. So I'll just talk briefly about each one of the phases of the methods so everybody has kind of an idea of, of how we approach the study again. So the first thing we needed to do was to develop the surveys we needed a pre- and a post-intervention survey. Um, We based it on previously published surveys that we had done here at BYU and others that we'd looked at. Um, Once we developed questions um, for the survey, we then had an expert review conducted where we sent the survey to a couple of experts in school nutrition, had them look over it and give us feedback on the phrasing of the questions and whether or not the questions were appropriate and important for the study, um their feedback was very positive and they didn't have any suggestions, maybe a few minor edits here and there. Uh, we then went and conducted what we call cognitive interviews. This is where we basically take um, a few people from the population. So in this case, some elementary education students here at BYU. Um, and we have them interview with one of our research assistants or with Camilla, and basically they take the survey and they talk out loud as they think about through as they think through each question. And if they have any concerns about, oh, this question doesn't make sense, or I wish there was a different option here, I don't feel like there's an option here that that pertains to my opinion, then we would take notes and we would adjust the survey, making sure that the survey reads the way that we want it to and that the questions were understandable by those in the population. So we did that, we made a few clarifications and then considered the survey at that point to be ready um, to deploy. Here's just an example of a couple questions. Um, on the survey, please indicate whether each of the following is a challenge or a benefit to breakfast in the classroom, and then the participants could select that, and which breakfast serving method would you prefer in your future school. So just a couple of examples of what some of the questions look like on the survey. The next step of phase one was to develop the video. Um, although this seems like an easy task, um, Camilla can attest, it, it took a lot of time and a lot of effort. I think it was probably a year or so that Camilla and another student worked on developing this educational video. Um, So first they did a review of literature. We wrote a script um, using literature to base off the statistics from. We used uh, Doodly software. It's a chalkboard video software that we used to develop the video. Um, We ended up hiring a voice actor to do the voiceover for the script. Um, This took multiple revisions and then we had it reviewed kind of one final time by a, a faculty member in public health who has done a lot of research in the area of breakfast in the classroom to kind of get her final opinions on it. So uh, we then developed that, that video. Um, I was gonna play a quick clip of the video. I think in, in interest of time, we'll skip over that and so we make sure we get to the results. Um, but you can see here, basically we had a character, Kate, and it walked through her day and she didn't get breakfast and she couldn't pay attention in school. And then it talks about all the benefits of school breakfast. Um, well, maybe we will play some, if I can, there we go. So, um, the next phase was to recruit and collect data. So this first study that we did uh, was just a pilot study. And so we just sampled students here at BYU. We collaborated with a faculty member in our educate um, elementary education department. Um, and we looked at or recruited students who were preparing to teach in school. So these students had not yet been in a school at all for their education anyway. For, they hadn't become a student teacher or done observing or anything like that yet. Um, we first had to get permission from the department chair who gave permission. Um, The way we approached the recruitment was we sent a link to the department secretary, the secretary forwarded that link to all of the students, um, 466 in total. Um, The initial survey, we had 105 respondents who filled it out and provided contact information for us to send the link. So what we did is we sent them the survey um, and then they completed the initial survey Then one week later, Camilla tracked everybody when they took the survey. And then one week after they took it, she sent the follow-up link. Um, It was the exact same survey, except for the the very first thing was the video. So it it pertained to the video clip. They would watch the video, and then they took the survey again. So it was the exact same questions, but this time they had the educational video. Um, Excuse me, and then they they took the survey again. 70 of the 105 completed both phases, both the pre and the post. Um, but we only had six, two of them weren't, didn't complete it all the way, so we had 68 total responses who completed both the pre-survey and the post-survey that we could use for comparisons. The last step was to analyze the data and prepare the manuscript. So basic data uh, analyzing policy here, we downloaded it to Excel, we cleaned it, del- meaning we deleted any incomplete responses and, and deleted any identifiers and things like that. We transferred it to SPSS, um, the statistical software and ran first basic descriptors and frequencies. We then did paired sample T-tests to compare the pre and post responses to see if there was a change in those. And then we also ran some uh, analysis of covariance to to see if there were differences based on demographic characteristics or whether or not the participants were participating in school breakfast when they were younger um, and so forth. So that leads us to the results and discussion and I'll let the expert um, tell you about all that.
3: All right, thank you. Uh yes, yeah, so results and discussion. Uh, with our participants, um, Dr. So's kind of walked through, but a little bit more about our participants. Um, elementary education university students at BYU. We had a total of sixty-eight. Um, our pre-survey response rate was nineteen point one percent, and then from pre to post survey, our retention rate was seventy-six point four. Um. Our participants were quite similar. Um, 94.1% were white, 97% were female, and 93% were between the ages of 18 and 24. Um, here is just a kind of a graphic or an example of a hedonic seal that we used in many of the questions of our survey. Um, this one uses the categories of identifying an item as a challenge. It's neither a challenge nor benefit, and definitely a benefit. Um, other questions had different categories along the scales. So we would refer to these scales and kind of numerize them so that we could interpret our results and the mean scores and kind of figure out, well, what were the changes? Um, so, first, we'll, we'll chat about the familiarity with school breakfast. Um, this table shows the pre survey and post survey um, mean scores. And so what's what's important about this table is that familiarity with school breakfast and the breakfast service models, each of those increased significantly um, from pre to post survey. And we found that familiarity with breakfast in the classroom actually increased the most. Um, and in the literature, some teachers oppose the implementation of breakfast in the classroom, as we've discussed, Um, and it was identified as the least preferred school breakfast program model. And our results from the previous table showed that an educational video could be effective at just improving their familiarity about breakfast in the classroom and school breakfast in general, if that was um, kind of a barrier that was keeping them from um, being on board with breakfast in the classroom. Uh, Next, we took a look at our participants' perceptions of who the intended recipients of breakfast in the classroom are and we found that their their perceptions of the intended recipient did change pre to post survey and the most significant change was on the bottom row and that's the perception that breakfast in the classroom is intended for all students Um, in the literature school breakfast administrators indicated that school breakfast program was primarily for low-income students and this could contribute to the stigma that's associated with school breakfast and low income status and our video help pr- participants realize that breakfast in the classroom. isn't just for low income students, but it could be for all students and by offering free breakfast in the classroom to all students that could reduce the stigma and increase participation um, in school breakfast and who's able to get breakfast. Next, we looked at participants' perceptions of how breakfast in the classroom affects students at school in terms of academic performance, attendance, and behavior. And we found that there were not too many significant changes from our pre to post survey. So from before they watched the video to after they watched the video. And we found that the pre-survey, pre-intervention scores were quite high, which didn't allow for a lot of improvement. And it's likely that the participants recognized even before watching the video that breakfast in the classroom could positively affect those three items. And this aligns with the research that actually shows breakfast in the classroom can improve academic performance, attendance, and behavior. Next, we surveyed participants' perceptions of the cost of breakfast in the classroom. Um, And from pre to post survey, Uh, Federal reimbursement was viewed as a benefit by the participants um, and cost was viewed as neutral, so something that was neither a challenge nor a benefit. And this is a little bit different from the the literature, which finds that teachers and administrators view the cost of breakfast in the classroom and school breakfast programs as challenges. Some other results that we found these were just kind of handpicked that were significant or, or interesting to us. Um, we found a significant change among our participants of the perception of nutritional, of the nutritional content of breakfast in the classroom from pre to post survey. So it went from more of a neutral thing to something that they viewed as a benefit after they watched the video. We also found that the uh, confidence among our participants to implement breakfast in the classroom in their own future classroom increased after watching the video And finally, we found that there was a significant change in um, participants' perception of how students' desire to eat breakfast in the classroom would affect their participation in school breakfast. Often there is a negative view of school breakfast nutrition content, um, kind of as we discussed in, in our literature review. And our participants' perception of the nutritional content actually improved after watching the video. So that was quite promising to see. Um, We found that maybe a short video explanation of how breakfast in the classroom service models operate and and the systems that can be put in place, that that can actually improve the elementary education students' confidence in managing this in their own future classrooms. And finally, we found that participants who viewed students desire to eat breakfast in the classroom as an important factor um, to encourage these students' participation in school breakfast. And that aligns with the research that found that students' priorities and lack of motivation could be a barrier to a school breakfast program. So hopefully our participants could see that it's important for, for students to want to eat breakfast in the classroom. Um, This table finally shows the preference of the school breakfast service models before and after watching the educational video. And we found significant changes in our participants' preference of second chance breakfast, breakfast in the classroom, and traditional breakfast from before to after watching the video. Uh, We found that traditional breakfast was the most preferred before and after the intervention among our participants. Um, This aligns with the research that teachers identify traditional breakfast as the most preferred school breakfast service model. Um, Among our participants, breakfast in the classroom increased in rank. It was fourth most preferred, so second to last basically, and it went from fourth to second most preferred after the intervention. So we saw that our video intervention had the possibility to improve future teachers' perceptions of breakfast in the classroom.
2: All right. Thank you, Camilla, for going through all those results. Um, And just kind of as a quick postscript to the results, we also uh, well, first of all, it was really exciting, as Camilla said, as we went through the data and ran the statistics to see how effective the video was. That it certainly was effective in several different areas of improving basic perceptions and basic knowledge of breakfast in the classroom, which was was what we were hoping for. So that was really exciting to see. We did also ask a few open-ended questions and we asked participants to indicate how prepared they felt to implement breakfast in the classroom and a couple other questions. I can't remember the specifics, the specifics right now. Um, and we have analyzed that data and we actually just submitted a manuscript for publication with that data, but it, it also supports the same thing that qualitatively when they answered questions about this, the, the video did improve their, their feeling of preparedness to be able to implement breakfast in the classroom and their positive perception of that. Um, so just some concluding thoughts, and then we'll get to be able to answer some of your questions, hopefully. Um, this study, as any, was certainly far from perfect. So there are certainly some limitations to the study. Um, number one, probably one of the biggest limitations that we recognize is that we did not use a control group. Um, so uh, we can say that the video improved their perceptions, but you know, without a control group, it's difficult to really say, well, was it the video or was it something else? And so that is, um, when we started the study, this was, um, we'd spent a long time preparing this video and we really wanted to just kind of get it out there and see, is it, is it effective at all? So this was, in our minds, was a, a, a small pilot test to test that effectiveness of the intervention. Um, it was a small convenience sample, only from one university, so it's obviously not generalizable to a larger um, audience, uh, but is hopefully a springboard for some future research that we're currently working on, uh, which I'll talk about here in, in just a minute. Um, Some of the implications, we've already mentioned a few of these, Um, it helped elementary education students develop a positive perception about breakfast in the classroom um, in terms of its nutrition, like Camilla said, in terms of the breakfast in the classroom model and being more preferred um, in in many different ways. Um, Another implication is that it can influence program success, hopefully, and the ability to benefit students. Um, if We can improve these perceptions and educate those who will become teachers about the benefits of it. Um, Hopefully, they will become advocates for the program when they become a teacher, Um, and hopefully an implementation would be that administrators can make changes to breakfast in the classroom service um, and and to reduce the challenges. Um, Another one that we didn't list on the slides is um, hopefully um, we can, I'll talk about some future research in a minute, but hopefully we can get to the point where maybe this becomes standard practice in an elementary education program to include some curriculum related to school nutrition programs and breakfast in the classroom, specifically in talking about the benefits. And if we can again um, educate earlier on that they can maybe become advocates before they get into a school where it's already established and maybe the teachers around them, um, the politics or whatever may, may be in less favor of breakfast in the classroom. Um, <clears throat> so, lastly, just some ongoing research that we're working on based off of this current study we've talked about. Our hope now is. Uh, well, it's not just a hope, we are expanding to a national sample of elementary education programs, so we're actually hoping, actually just in a couple of days, we just got final approval from IRB a couple of days ago to launch this to a, a, a national sample. And so we've updated the video, it was specific to Utah, so we've updated the statistics and updated it so um, it applies to a larger audience. Um, we're going to be implementing control groups, we'll be randomizing students into some of them. You know, roughly half will, everybody will take the initial survey, um, just as they did in this study. One week later, again, they'll be sent the next survey, but it'll be randomized. Roughly half of them won't get the video. They'll just take the survey again. And the other half will get the video and take the survey again. So we'll be able to see, not only did it change from before and after, but is there a difference between the control group and the intervention group, right? Did it simply change because they've heard about it in the pre-survey? Um, or was it really actually the video that was improving their perception? So that's we're really excited to hopefully see that. Um, another piece we hope to do. Um, this all depends on attrition, obviously, of our participants. Um, but we plan to hopefully longitudinally follow participants. So in other words, we're hoping um, this year to survey them and, and establish their perceptions, but then a year from now survey them again, and then two years from now, and three, and maybe four or five years from now to we'll sort of follow these participants and see okay. When they were an elementary education student, before they had done practicum, we improved their perception. Now, in the practicum, did they still have that positive perception? Now they're a teacher. Maybe they're implementing breakfast in the classroom. Do they still have a positive perception of it? And see, does their perception maintain over time? Or do things such as being in the classroom or seeing a certain uh, breakfast program being implemented, does that change or influence their, their perception over time? So that's something we hope to do if we get enough participants that that stay and stick along with us for that long. Um, And again, like I said earlier, we hope to eventually, if we can get positive results again, if we see on a national level, if we see positive results with um, improving perceptions that we could then maybe develop some official curriculum or something for elementary education programs that could be utilized in the classroom on a standard basis um, to educate these uh, teachers before they become a teacher, these students, to be more aware of breakfast in the classroom and the benefits of nutrition and school breakfast, uh, to hopefully um, have a better, more positive perception of it um, overall. So that's the end of our presentation for now. There's a bunch of references um, here, and then we'd be happy to, to take any questions that you might have, and we'll have Camilla do the best at answering them all. <laughs> <I'm just kidding. laughs>
1: Well, thank you so much. It was really neat to learn about this project and how you are reaching out to early elementary ed, or ed, to elementary ed um, teachers before they become teachers. So, if anyone has any questions, please put those in the QA box. Um, one question we have so far was how long was the video and was it a one time video? Um, and then they wanted to check their assumption that the video was watched between pre and post survey.
2: Yes. So that's a good question. Um, so the video was just under five minutes long. So it's about four minutes. And I think the new version is about four minutes and 36 seconds. The other one I think was a little bit longer. Yeah. It's just under five minutes, right around five minutes. And yes, it was, like I said, the video was given in between pre and post. So they did the pre-survey. Um, and then one week later we sent them the survey. So they, if they took it the day we sent it, it would have been a one week period. We had no way to control when they actually took it, but yes, they, then it was, the first view of the survey was, here. here's this video, please watch the video and then continue with the survey. So they watched the video and then did the survey one week later.
1: And was the video something that they watched as part of a classroom experience or was it something you just sent to them um, through email? How What did it look like when they watched the video?
2: Yeah, that's a great question. Um, it was essentially just part of the survey. So it wasn't in the classroom or anything um essentially camilla would send them a follow-up email that said thank you for participating in taking our phase one survey below is a link to the follow-up survey and a video and a short video about breakfast in the classroom so they actually click on it's actually embedded into the qualtrics software so they would click on the link for the survey it would give them the standard consent form at the beginning here's the risk of the study so forth they'd click next and the very first question of the survey wasn't really a question would just say please watch the video below there was a link to the YouTube video. They would click that, watch the video, then they click next and it would take them to the first question of the survey. So it was just embedded within the survey body itself.
1: All right, that makes sense. Um, were your You mentioned your participants were predominantly female and predominantly white. Was this reflective of the population of teachers at the university you were at? Yeah, I'll let to answer that one.
3: Yeah, I mean, just based on my, my own experience, having attended, you know, BYU, I, that is probably pretty representative of like the, the students that are elementary education or and in that major. Um, I'm not sure as far as like practicing teachers, like in the state of Utah, I would imagine it would be pretty similar, but I, I couldn't speak to that.
2: Yeah. And okay. yeah, to follow up. Yeah, and it, it is. We, like I said, we collaborated with elementary education and there was no surprise from those over there that that, yeah, it's very much predominantly white, predominantly female in the elementary education program here at BYU. And that's actually one of the things that we have tried to address in the in revisions to the video um, is making it more, you know, um, making sure that there were some more diverse characters in the video and things like that to be more friendly to a more national audience. But yeah, it, it was reflective of the, of the population for NYU. Yeah. Thank you.
1: Another question. Um, what level of influence do teachers have on whether breakfast is served in the classroom and how much of it is determined by school admi- administration?
2: Yeah, that's a really good question. Um, I think it depends. It, essentially they don't have, I think it depends on the district and how things work. Um, usually they don't have any say in the fact of, it's usually the school board that would establish, you know, how are, you know, how are we serving breakfast in in here? Um, I would say, so, so somebody could say, well, they don't have any influence, right? Because they're not making the decisions. They don't decide whether there's breakfast in the classroom or not. That's decided um, higher up, which is probably very true. Um, I would say that on the backhand, however, they could have an influence by being an advocate, right? And talking to the school nutrition director and pushing for breakfast in the classroom so that, they could inform the school board of this option of breakfast in the classroom, that we as teachers want this. And I think if, you know, we see in other research and things when teachers are advocates for it, or even a parent or somebody becomes an advocate for school breakfast or breakfast in the classroom, it's more likely that it gets implemented. And so we see it more as creating advocates for it um, so that they can, you know, have a voice and say, look, we actually, as teachers, we really want this. We want breakfast in the classroom. And so they can, you know, make that known to those who do have the power to make the decisions to hopefully then influence the decisions to include breakfast in the classroom.
3: That makes a lot of sense. And I also had... like um, I mentioned in one of the in part of the literature review, that those teachers that do have breakfast in the classroom already implemented, one third of them didn't prefer that that was the model that they were using. So if it could, if we could improve their perception, they could also be a really powerful voice that okay, well we're using it and we do see these benefits. So not even just like making changes, but really promoting those that already have it in their classrooms,
1: and making sure they're not countering against it, right? Because if they're exactly. not. Liking it,
2: Yeah. And even I think, you know, and we've seen too with breakfast, there's lots of different ways to even implement breakfast in the classroom. Sometimes food's brought into the classroom and handed out by the teacher or students. Sometimes they all go to the lunchroom and they go down the line and grab something. So there's lots of different ways that they actually serve even breakfast in the classroom. And like Camille said, if you've got teachers who really don't like breakfast, they're serving it, they have to, it's what's offered you know, hopefully if we can improve those teachers' perceptions, they'll be more likely to be excited about it and get the, you know, to implement it properly in the classroom if that makes sense and to be an advocate in the classroom for it um, and make it a positive experience for students and not add to the stigma that already exists um, of breakfast in the classroom.
1: I can I'm imagining a room full of first graders <laughs> with food. And I could imagine it, it might add a little bit the teacher's workload
2: yeah it was really interesting when we did the first study where we we interviewed teachers or or surveyed teachers there was yeah a lot of very interesting and very you know you know um points well taken about the the challenges of having a room full of first graders and interesting a lot of it was mess they really disliked the mess that it created in the classroom and some talked about you know uh, bugs and pests and things and so anyway there was lots of reasons that they and and very valid reasons that they had for for not liking Breakfast in the classroom.
1: Fair. Um, Are there any resources for teachers on how to implement breakfast in the classroom?
2: Oh, that's a good question. Um, I can't think of any specific ones on top of my head, but I know there are. I know there's resources, um, and I think sometimes, I don't know about national resources. I mean, there's clearly on the USDA website, there's information about breakfast in the classroom and statistics about it, Um, But I do know of individual researchers who have developed some materials. So I think on a local basis, um, people will develop materials to help um, give ideas about people here in Utah. We have what's called the Utah breakfast expansion team. So it's made up of teachers and administrators and and researchers and faculty from across the state. And so in that group, we work on developing and and, um, expanding breakfast in the classroom. So we send out resources and people share ideas. And so, I don't know if that makes sense. So on a local basis, I think there certainly are, again, if we have people who are advocates of it and who really, you know, here in Utah, it's not standard practice in Utah to have breakfast in the classroom, but there are a group of people who feel it's important. And so they are within amongst themselves, developing resources and sharing ideas of stories of success of how they're having success with it to share it to others. I don't know if that answers the question or not. but
1: Yeah, it looks like that's an opportunity too to develop right. some nationally right. available or even statewide available resources for how to support teachers in doing this. Yeah. Um, sure. Especially where there is quite a bit of pushback there. And that started yeah. with your video. I, I think it's great that you targeted uh, pre-service teachers um, starting to change their perceptions from, from the beginning and then they can bring their influence on and up with them. Yeah, that's, that's uh, the hope, yeah, that's the hope, sure. So you talked about developing curriculum um would you how would you incorporate this video into such a curriculum or would you and um or are there other ways you would distribute the video so that early teachers
2: yeah that's a that's an interesting question um and one i've thought about you know i i guess i don't know i think the video is certainly effective um i think i guess this is just my own thoughts and my own opinion i i think it would be better if it wasn't just a video that hey I think that, that's a great start, right? But I think it would long-term, it'd be even better if in the curriculum, you know, I don't know how in my mind as a professor, be like, look, this day in all of the elementary education programs, wherever they put it in, they have a day in each class or at least a day where this is school nutrition day. And we talk about, and it's on your quizzes and your exams and they talk about the benefits of breakfast in the classroom and all the different models the service. and services. So basically it just becomes part of, as we're teaching you to become a teacher, part of that is you're going to need to know Right. You might have breakfast in the classroom. You need to know before you get there what it's about and the benefits of it. And so it just becomes something that is talked about and taught and advocated for in the elementary education curriculum. I think would be the best way to approach it. In my mind, I think that's a long ways away, probably. So, yes, I think I mean, I think to start, it could simply be saying, hey, we've got this cool video. It just only takes five minutes. You know, we invite you to show it to your students whenever you feel best or whatever. And even that, I think, could be a starting point to to educate them. But the video is very surface, right? I mean, it's five minutes. There's a lot more to, you know, breakfast in the classroom than that. So I I, I hope that answers your question.
1: Yeah, it does. Um, Is the video something that is publicly available that people could go find?
2: That's a good question. Right now it's not. Um, I need to talk to my collaborators and things and and see if that's something that we're open to in the future. I I think it would be eventually. We're kind of right in the midst of another study right now. And so it's currently not um publicly available, but it's something that we'll that we'll definitely look into.
1: Sounds great. Well, I want to thank you both again. This was really informative and great to learn about and just great to learn all about the experience of um, teachers in the classroom and the benefits to students at breakfast. So thank you for the background that you provided and then the details on the study. I really learned a lot from both of you. So thank you. Oh, thank at this you. point, I can pass it back to Rachel.
0: I was just going to say, Nathan, we have 10 minutes before the top of the hour. Do you want to go ahead and play the video? I feel like we've talked sure. about the video so much. Yeah, and I yeah, got to bet. see a little part of it, right? It, as we yeah, were getting
2: set you, up. Yeah, now that we have time, let me get it pulled up here. Maybe my computer's being funny. Give me one second and I'll get it pulled up. Sure.
1: Well, Great idea.
0: I was like, wait, we still have time. Yeah. Yeah. Um, I can do a little, a little bit of the follow-up, just a reminder that there's a survey when I close the webinar. Um, feedback is appreciated and watch for an email. We'll probably have that sent out by Wednesday of this week um, with a recording, the handout link. Um, and then as I said, the CEU for this is pending. As soon as we get the, that approval, we'll send it out. Um, Journal Club takes a break, so there is no session next Monday, but we'll pick up again on March 11th. Um, And there's also some more webinars that have been added to the s calendar. As always, um, check out the website. And then real quick, I'll just say, reminder, lots of deadlines on March 1st, deadline for abstract submissions for the conference, um, award nominations, scholarship nominations, as well as student representative to the board of directors. So, So I will stop and we'll listen to the video.
2: Okay, hopefully this plays. If it not, give me a signal or something and we'll try again, but hopefully this will work.
4: This is Kate. As she was getting ready for school this morning, she went to get some breakfast, but there was no food in the cupboards or fridge.
0: As I say, we heard the sound for a second, but yeah, then I think we it... lost the audio. Hmm.
4: The teacher struggles to engage the students because the whole classroom seems distracted. As it turns out, many of the students did not eat breakfast that morning either. In fact, this happens frequently, which makes behaving, paying attention, and doing well in class common issues in kids' classrooms. Students missing breakfast and being hungry at school is not a new problem. In the 1960s, there was concern with this same problem. In response to that concern, the National School Breakfast Program was started in 1966 to serve breakfast to nutritionally needy children. Over the years, the program has adapted and expanded. It now serves roughly 14.5 million children. Based on income eligibility guidelines, students can get breakfast for free at a reduced price or pay full price. Schools are reimbursed by the federal government for each meal served. To qualify for reimbursements, school breakfasts must meet certain nutritional guidelines. Each breakfast must provide a minimum of one cup of fruit, one cup of milk, and one serving of whole grain stew. Some parents and teachers are under the impression that school breakfast contains unhealthy ingredients. The reality is that the United States Department of Agriculture regulates the nutrition of school breakfasts. Grain products must contain at least 51% whole grains. Milk must be low fat, and fruit must be served with breakfast dinner. School breakfast is a great way for students to get the nutrients they need. In order to encourage student participation, five different models of school breakfast program service have been developed. Traditional breakfast is served in the cafeteria before school starts. Grab-and-go breakfasts are pre-packaged and served from mobile stations before class, where they can be eaten in hallways, classrooms, or other specified locations. Second Chance Breakfast offers pre-packaged breakfast options on mobile carts in the hallways after the first period, during recess or during the snack break. Breakfast vending allows students to purchase breakfast items from vending machines. Breakfast in the classroom allows students to eat a hot or cold breakfast together in the classroom after the bell rings. So, what's the big deal with school breakfast? Researchers have identified several benefits to eating school breakfast, including reduced absenteeism and tardiness, better academic performance, lower BMIs, and improved nutrition, behavior, focus, and memory. Despite these benefits, a recent school breakfast report indicated that 57 out of every 100 students in the US who qualify for free or reduced school meals aren't participating in school breakfast. In fact, Utah has the lowest participation in the nation, with 60 out of every 100 qualifying students not participating in school breakfast. So, what's the best option to improve participation? Research has shown that breakfast in the classroom is the model which most effectively increases school breakfast participation, allowing a greater number of students to receive all the benefits from school breakfast. Breakfast in the classroom is just what it sounds like. Students get to eat breakfast together in their classrooms after the morning bell has rung. This makes breakfast available to everyone, no matter the income level, and allows all students to participate. Documents provided to teachers track participation as students move through a breakfast assembly line. Students eat their breakfast at their desks as teachers take attendance or teach a small lesson. Custodial employees collect the trash at the end of breakfast.
0: Great, thank you for sharing that. Thank you very much for presenting today and we look forward to seeing everyone back online for our next webinar.
2: Thank you.